And so he enters into this world, as you know very well, in, 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 in the most humble setting of a barn and laid in a, a feeding trough. Unbelievable. And yet to people who were not the religious leaders, shepherds out in the fields, this great announcement is made. They received the announcement that Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, had planted, and through God used him to plant the seed of hope that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name's be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. These are all tremendous seeds of hope that were planted in the hearts of the Jewish people. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And he comes, and he finally is born, and he, and he lives his life, and, does, and, and for the first 30 years, a bit of a mystery of what his life was like. Just a rose that may have been thrown over the, the, the wall that we can't see, where, where we, we, we see that at the age of 12, he says, I must be about my father's business. And finally, he comes, and when he comes, he lines up with those in line to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan who were confessing their sins. And he, can you picture that? This is God in the flesh, and he's just standing in line with all the rest. And, and, and John is going, okay, you know, your turn, so, you know, but confess your sins. Yeah, okay, and they confess your sins. I am guilty, I am guilty. I mean, shlachli, shlachli, as they say on the, on the day of the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement in the, in the temple. Beat their chest, shlachli, I have sinned, I have sinned, I have sinned. They confess their sins. He baptizes them, the baptism of repentance, and one, the other, you know, must have been, okay, a routine day for John, baptizing one. All of a sudden, he sees the Lord, and he says, that's the Lamb of God. Listen, everybody, this is the one we've been waiting for. That's the Lamb of God who will remove from the world the sins of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. And he comes up, and he says, okay, uh, you know, I'm next. No, 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 I, I should be baptized by you. No, no. Please do this, because I'm the Son of Man, and I'm going to and people are going to follow me. Of course, he had no sins to confess, but that started his ministry, and from there, it was all about what it says about him in his in his life, his public life for the three years, which was all summed up in the words, "He hath done all things well." That's what's his life. He healed the sick, he, gave, he, he, he healed the dumb, he healed the blind, did all those wonderful things. He finally comes to the end when he's gone through the most horrific, humiliating, stripped of all dignity, human dignity, torture and death. And he says his last words, and that's what we have in this marvelous verse here, where it says in, in John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. His last words, it is finished. Have you ever wondered what did he mean? What did he mean by, by, by it is finished? Please, I want you never, ever, ever to think that he meant when he said it is finished. Whew, glad that's over. That was awful. Boy, it's great to have that behind me. That's not at all what he meant. Now, we've got an English Bible and it says it's finished. But, and actually it was translated from the Greek. But here's a news flash. The Lord did not speak Greek from the cross. He didn't speak Greek. He didn't speak English either. But so, when he was on the cross, I know that's a big revelation, but. Uh, <clears throat> so, please never think that it's, he said, oh, it's finished like, oh man, that was so hard. I'm glad it's over. You know, like your exams. And, 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 of course, the Greek word is detelestai, but he didn't sit there and say detelestai, you know, the Greek there. But what he said, and I'm going to get to what he actually said, but I, I want to, first of all, point out that in the Old Testament, there are two amazing chapters in the Old Testament about the crucifixion. And what's amazing about these two chapters is that they look at the crucifixion, what he endured on the cross, 
from two perspectives. One is exterior to him, speaking about him, and that's why there is the term he, 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 all throughout that chapter. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. It speaks about him as a, as a tender plant out of a root, out of a dry ground. It speaks about he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. iniquities. The chastisement of, of our peace was upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. It's all this he, he, him, him, because it's exterior, standing and viewing what he did on the cross. That's Isaiah 53. Marvelous passage that opens up to us. But there's a question which is asked in Isaiah 53, 8. It's a very interesting question. And what it says there, it speaks about he was taken from prison and from judgment. He was just rushed off with, a, with, a, with, a, with an early decision of guilty and it doesn't matter what other, the evidence were. Then it asks this question in Isaiah 53, 8. Who shall declare his generation? Who shall declare his generation? That's a question which was left. He doesn't have any children. Who are his, who's going to carry on his legacy? He has no children. That's the question that's answered. Now we go to the other chapter in the Old Testament, which doesn't look at him from the exterior there on the cross, but, it looks, but, it, but it's from within him and what he is seeing, what he is experiencing on the cross, and that's why there is this pronoun I, 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 I throughout it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I am poured out like water. It's all from the personal of him looking out from the cross. And there's a very detailed description in there of what I was just mentioning. I'm poured out like water. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. I'm like a potsherd. There he is hanging on the cross. He's looking down. He sees a broken piece of pottery and he said, that's me. I'm the broken piece of pottery. I'm a potsherd. He sees the wind blowing. He sees the dust flowing across. He says, thou hast brought me into the dust of death. A place, where there was, a place of death where blood was there and it dried and it was, it was all, it, it smelled and everything else. And he said, this is just death here. It smells like death. And the wind blows and he says, you brought me into the dust of death. This is all from his personal seeing. Dogs have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. And, he, and, he, and I may tell all my bones, they're out of all my bo joints, are out, all my bones are out of joint. He goes through all this description, he describes detailed measure, physically what's happening to him as he's dying from the death of dehydration, as, as this blood is, blood is accumulating, as the water is accumulating around his heart. He's going into a state of pericarditis and he's talking about my heart is melted in the midst of my bowels. He's talking about the, the soul suffering that's going on when he says that, that uh, people are surrounding him and they're saying, oh, if God delighted in him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. They mocked him and so forth. But this question in Isaiah 53 uh, is resounding who is going to declare his generation? And that's the question that comes from Isaiah 53. And finally, that question is answered at the end of the Psalm 22. At the end of Psalm 22, where it says, A seed shall serve him. It shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. It's the seed that will serve him. Do you know who that is? That's you. That's me. It's everyone who serves the Lord Jesus Christ is the seed, is the generation that was asked for in Isaiah 53. Who's, where's the generation? In Isaiah, and then in Psalm 22, it's you. It's me, the seed that will serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And then it says, what are we going to do in Psalm 22? At the end of the verse, it says, it says in, in Psalm 22, it says, They shall come, 
That means you. That means me. That means step forward. That means be bold. They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. That's the last verse in, uh, in Psalm 22. It describes what you and I do. It describes about, they shall come, we step forward, and shall declare. You know, it reminds me of the time when I was in Heathrow Airport, and in, and in, in Heathrow Airport one time, I, I, I just sort of, I collected my baggage there, as you do there, and I, and I, and I sort of sat back and sort of like watched everybody and there were two big doors there, and one of them was the gate, or exits, I should say. And one of them has the big green sign over it. It says, nothing to declare. And the other one has the red sign, something to declare. So I went into the red area there. And they said, okay, what do you have to declare? And I said, that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> and as I looked at all these people going out the green sign, nothing to declare, I said, yeah, that's right. There's nothing really to declare. They have nothing to declare. But they shall come and declare. That describes what you and I do. They shall come and declare his righteousness that he hath done this. Now, there are two parts to that. The first thing that we declare is his righteousness. What does that mean when we declare his righteousness? When we go to the Jewish people, we go to, you know, as I've mentioned before, Jewish people are just like every other people, only more so. They only more so. They come on strong. Okay? If, I, if, if I seem like I'm coming on strong, I'm just exercising my genes. But if you don't, anyway, if you don't have any contact with Jewish people, then, you'll, you'll, then you won't know. But if you, have, if you want contact with Jewish people, it's very simple. You just have legal problems, health problems, and accounting problems. Then you'll meet Jewish people. <laughs> but, but the... Um, but, but, but what we declare to Jewish people, to all people who are lost, is his righteousness. We declare how great he is. How, how wonderful and how great he is. We declare that how he hath done all things well. We declare, with a, we declare, do you know what happened? This woman who was suffering from this issue of blood for more than 10 years and she just came and touched the hem of his garment. She was healed just like that. And he said, virtue went out from me. And he was willing for virtue to go out from him so she could be healed. Wasn't that wonderful of what he did? Do you know what happened when he came to this man who was by the pool of Bethesda there? And he says, do you want to be healed? And he says, I don't have anybody to carry me down to the pool. The, when the angel comes and troubles the water, someone else gets in front of me. And he says, just, just take up your bed and walk. He did that. It's declaring all the great things about him. Do you realize that he was, that, 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 that his enemies wanted to destroy him and his name was not Donald Trump? <laughs> but they were out to destroy him and he couldn't do anything right in their eyes. And they made up all kinds of wrong things about him. Oh, he said he destroyed the temple in three days. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even have a Roman collusion. But <laughs> anyway, but, but, but the point is, is that all during this time in which he suffered contradiction of sinners against himself, he remained pure. He remained spotless. And, and, the, and, and even the, the, his enemies, the, the, they sent people to go capture him. Why didn't you bring him back? He, they came back and said, Nobody ever spoke like this man before. No, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know what the scribes' teachings were like? The scribes' teachings were like, picture yourself in a lumber yard. In a lumber yard where they've been milling lumber and there's sawdust all over the floor and you just kind of walk through there like this and you kick the sawdust in the air and before you know it, there's a cloud of sawdust that you're breathing. That's what the teaching of the scribes were like. Well, you know, if you, on the Sabbath day, you can wash your hands this way, but not that way. You got it? See, that was the teaching of the scribes. But they said, he didn't teach them like that. He taught them as one having authority. Why? Because he had authority. But. But when his, it finally came down to the point where he, as the Lamb of God, referring back 
to, to the Passover. The Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And you know what happened during the Passover. The family, the father, went out into his herd, and he had to look over his herd, and he looked them all over, and he looked for that one without any spot, without any blemish. Maybe he knew in advance, and he said, that one, that one there. And he comes back into the house, and, 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 and the family says, did you choose a lamb? Did you choose? Yeah, I chose a lamb. I said, well, where is he? He says, right there. there. That's him right there. That's what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, our Father, the Father of our household. We go to God the Father. Did you choose a lamb to protect us? Yeah, I did. Who is it? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He was singled out. He was the Lamb. And then during that time period, which was very important, from the time of the choosing of the Lamb to the time of the sacrifice was a time of intense examination. Watching that Lamb. Looking at every part of it. Looking at its knees. Does it have bony knees? Looking at its nose. Does it, does it have a bunch of mucus come out of its nose indicating infection? Looking at his mouth to make sure there's pink. Looking at his eyes to make sure they're not watery. Watching his, the, the shape and so forth. Looking at his coat just to make sure that really was a perfect lamb. And all during the time when he's alive on earth and, his, his, and, and, and people are watching him, watching every move of him. Did he sin? Did he sin? And finally came down to the point of, uh, of, of final evaluation. And he looks at his enemies and he says, all right, here I am. Which one of you convinceth me of sin? Which one of you can convict me of sin? What is it? Bring it out right now. And the answer, which was silence, was the answer. There was no sin. We declare his righteousness. We declare his purity. We declare what he did. He did every, all things well. They brought many sick people to him, sick of body, sick in soul. He healed them all, it says. That's declaring his righteousness. That's the first thing that we do. But the second thing that we do, it says, he hath done this. They should declare his righteousness, that he hath done this, is, is what it says. Now, when it says he hath done this, in the Hebrew it's ki asa, asa, done, asa. It's a very important word. That is the last word in the Psalm 22, is the, word, the Hebrew word asa. And it means done, done. But it has a certain meaning, a certain, a certain inflection in the meaning of asa, which is so important for us to grasp. Because asa, it means done, but it, it, it doesn't mean like, that's done. Man, I'm done with that. It doesn't mean that. Done means achieved or accomplished. So that means that we declare what he accomplished. And that is the word that he spoke from the cross. He said, Asa, and gave up the ghost. He said, accomplished, and gave up the ghost. In other words, he had a work to do on, in his suffering, in his death. And the work that he did is all summed up by the phrase, he shed his blood. Now Deuteronomy tells us that the, the life is in the blood. It makes that simple statement. The way it puts it in Leviticus 17.11, it says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when, it's, when we see that he shed his blood, we're talking about he died. He died willingly, he poured out, he shed his own blood. In other words, he, he, he hath poured out his soul unto death, as the words are in Isaiah 53. He poured out his soul unto death. He died. That's the death. But when he died, and he said the word asa, which as I mentioned, is the last word in the book, of, in, in, in Psalm 22, which is him speaking from the cross in the I, me, I, I. And at last, we have this word asa, that's what he said when he said, it is finished, asab, accomplished. What it says in the last verse of Psalm 22 is that you and I have the responsibility to not only declare his righteousness, but to declare asab, to declare accomplished. What did he do 
on the cross. What did he accomplish on the cross? We proclaim his accomplishments. We proclaim the accomplishments of his blood, or let's make it this way, the accomplishments of his death. Now you may sit there and say, what do you mean accomplishments of death? He was a victim. I don't like that term, victim. He, he, because he poured out his soul. He was a willing sacrifice. So I don't want you to ever think that the word finish means, boy, like finals, done, I'm done. But I want you to think of him sitting there and seeing what he had set out to do in his purpose and what he had accomplished on the cross. And so when you read those words, it is finished, I want you to say to, say, to, say to your mind, it was a saw and it meant accomplished. So I want you to see him saying, it is accomplished or accomplished. And when he said accomplished, he had in his view what he had been trying to accomplish, and finally, in his death, accomplished. It was, that's what was finished, was the work that he set out to do. And this is what you and I should be doing. And so this is the, this is the main point behind his words, it is finished. So let's talk a little bit about what it is exactly that we are to, to proclaim that he accomplished. What, are, what did he accomplish? The first thing he accomplished is what the Bible calls, and I'll read it for you, in Exodus 30, verse 10, Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in the year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It's most holy unto the Lord. So there's, Mo, there's Aaron, the high priest. Not the great high priest, that's the Lord Jesus, but Aaron is the high priest. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there is the sacrifice. He confesses over the head of the sacrifice, the sins of Israel. Must have taken him a long time. There's a lot of sins. But he confesses over their head, the sins of, over the head of the sacrifice, the sins of Israel. He lays the sins on them. He lays the sins of the, of the country on this, this animal. This animal does not become sin. It's the sins are laid on him. Please, whenever you read in the verses in Corinthians where it says, he hath made him to be sin for us, please don't think that the Lord became ugly, putrid, horrible sin inside, that he became a sinner. No. What it says in Isaiah 53 is that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became, when it says, he hath made him to be sin for us, please think of it, he hath made him to be the sin offering for us all. Just like the goat or the lamb or whatever was the sin offering for Israel. And after having done that, the animal was killed. It's a horrible, disturbing, tragic thing to kill an animal like that. I, you know, one of the things I try to hide about my past was the fact that I lived and raised 300 goats in my home, in my, around my house for, for 10 years. People used to call me the goat man, I'm sure. I'm glad they don't call me that anymore. But uh, we had 300 goats, with, we were on an acre, and I don't, know if you can, I don't know if you can picture this or not, but just picture an acre, there's a house there and there's 300 goats all around it. That's crowded, that's a, that's a, that, that's a crowded situation. Uh, <clears throat> told my boys sometimes this. Sometimes I don't know if you are my boys or the goats. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, we didn't have any girls. We only had three boys. I told my boys, I said, well, God knew we had a lot of work to do here, so he didn't give us any girls. He gave us boys. But anyway, um, a couple times, some, well, it was actually one time, a goat was sick and it had to be euthanized. It had to be put down. And so I took the goat and, and I injected it and it, it died in my arms. That was the first time, that was the last time I ever did that again. We've had literally thousands of goats since then. I have never killed a goat since that one time. It is so disturbing to hold an animal and, to, and for the life of that animal to go out in your hands. I never want to do that again. Since then, I just said, call the vet, let him do it. I can't do it. But this is what the priest did. He killed the animal with all the trauma of the animal dying, screaming, blood, collects the blood, goes in to the, the Holy of Holies, 
And, and tradition has it, though not in the Bible, but I believe it's true, that, that Israel thought, well, what if the sacrifice is not accepted and Aaron is, is slain dead? I'm not going in that place. So they tied a rope around his ankle so that they could pull him out in case he was, in case he was struck dead. But he went in there and he put, the, he put the blood on the horns of the altar in the Holy of Holies so that, so that, so that the cherubim that were there, the cherubim statues that were there, were looking at each other and they were focused, this one on those two horns and that one on those two horns, they were focused on the blood, just like God said in Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And, and that's called an atonement. An atonement. Now, the word atonement in Hebrew is the word kafir. Kafir. Now, now you probably have heard of somebody wearing a kippah, or maybe you haven't, a kippah or a yarmulke. A yarmulke. It's a covering. It just means a covering. Covering for the head, covering for the head. So what he accomplished in his, uh, his, his death was the covering of our sins. And that's what the atonement was. That's an accomplishment. That's a great thing. Because we all need to have our sins covered. And, his, his, and he accomplished in his death the covering of our sins. That was what Adam and Eve felt. When, as, as soon as Adam had sinned against the Lord, and it says they were both aware, we're naked. And so they go and they, 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 they sew the fig leaves together to create a, a, a covering for themselves. But that was no good. And, and, and so then God came along and, and, and said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Adam... What did you do? And Adam says, I'll make a full confession. I'll tell you exactly what I did. Here's my confession. She did it. All right. So that's the way that conversation went. And God said, oh. anyway, but he, but he said, we'll work. We'll, 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 it'll get better. Anyway. So, so God then make a covering from the animal skins at that point as well. And that was one of the great accomplishments of the Lord. Another accomplishment of the Lord was that Every time anybody, you and I, sinned, it kind of went like this. If we were this far away from God, then sin kind of increased the distance. And so finally, you and I, as well as every lost person before they're saved, is in a state of separation from God. And each one of the sins, each one of the thoughts that we have, because that's what sin is, the thought of foolishness is sin in Proverbs. Every one of the thoughts just increased the distance. And so then, man, you and I and, and all people said, um, uh, well, uh, a higher power, I don't know, I hope. That's just the reflections of separation from God. The Jewish people have a way of referring to God now is they call him Hashem. Ha is the word the, and Shem is the word name. So they call him the name. And every time they do that, I say to them, that's very honest of you. Because when you called God the name, you have just confessed. You don't know him, and he's very, very far from you. And by the way, how dare you call him the name? Because God has so many wonderful, beautiful names. Nowhere in the Bible did anybody ever call God the name, or the force, or whatever. Because he has wonderful names. El Shaddai, the Almighty, by the name of Jehovah, I was not made known to the children of Israel. He reveals that to Moses, just one name after the other, wonderful. But anyway, when they use the word Hashem, or the name, it's just an honest confession that they're far from God, separated from God. One of the things that he accomplished on the cross is given to us in Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ... You who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You are brought near. You are brought back into reconciliation. That's a great accomplishment of his blood, of his life, of his death. That's what he accomplished also when he cried out, it is finished. Then, one, there, there are two problems with sin. There's two problems with sin. The external problem and the internal problem. The external problem is, is, as I mentioned, it separates from God. It's offensive to God. That's a problem. It requires, the, the, the solution to that is forgiveness. But there's another problem with sin. It makes dirty inside. It makes us feel so 
so, so defiled, so dirty. What is the solution to that problem? And by the way, both these problems are seen in the book of, of Zechariah, where the Lord said that in that day there shall be opened a fountain to the, to, to the house of David for sin. That's the, that's, the, that's the effect that sin has for sin. In other words, on God, the offense for sin and uncleanness. That's the other part. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And so what happens there is one of the accomplishments, great accomplishments of his cross, is 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's, his son, cleanses us from sin. It cleanses us from not just sin, it cleanses us from all sin. That's a great accomplishment. When he says accomplished, he's saying now all sin can be cleansed inwardly. That's an accomplishment. That's what we also proclaim. There is a way of cleansing. Then, one of the problems with sin is that it creates a war with God. It establishes a war with God because God hates sin. And so when, when, when we or anybody are, are, are involved in sin, it's a war with God. It's on. The war is on. And so one of the accomplishments of his cross is Colossians 1.20. In Colossians 1.20, it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. So in other words, the war is over. And so he yells out, accomplished. He means now there can be peace. As it says in the Psalms, it says that righteousness, it says, it says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now, they're looking at the sinner, and righteousness is saying, I'll tell you what, this is what has to happen to him. He's a murderer, he has to be killed, he's an adulterer, and all the different crime sheets, and righteousness says, he's not going to get released until he has paid the uttermost farthing. In other words, he has to pay. But peace says, oh, let's, let's have peace. Why do we have to war? And so righteousness and peace over the sinner are like separated from each other. But all of a sudden in the Psalms, we see this wonderful thing where righteousness and peace, they come together and they hug and they kiss each other. Where? At the cross. At the cross is where righteousness and peace kiss each other. Because that's where the righteousness of God says, okay, what can I say? It was all paid for. He paid for it. It's fine. I'm okay. And peace says, wonderful. Let's, let's kiss. That's what happened. So he, that was an accomplishment at his cross when he brought peace. Then every time he, the, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And whenever we sin, whenever anybody sins, we just put ourselves into a state of bondage more and more and more and more. I can stop smoking if I want, I just can't want. So this is, the, this is also what happens with sin. Sin is a quicksand, sin is a trap. You don't just walk in and walk out. And yet, the, and, and to be delivered from that bondage requires a price, a redemption, a redemption. And this is what he also accomplished according to 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed from, uh, uh, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation and so forth, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So that was a great accomplishment. He's on the cross, he says, accomplished, he means they're redeemed. The redemption is done. That was accomplishment. That's what you and I proclaim. That's what you and I declare. Also, another great thing was that, well, all their, 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 their sins, yeah, the Bible says that what happened, as far as the sins go, was that in Hebrews... You can't remember all these places here. I gotta try to find them. Anyway, it's in there. It was in there yesterday. <laughs> You'll find it. Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22 says, all things are purged by, all things by, 
Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, remission is the Bible's word for removal. It's removal. It's a great thing. It's a great thing to have sins just removed. Just removed off the record. So much so, I mean, I was talking to, a, to an Orthodox friend of mine recently, and he was saying, he wrote me a text. He says, Tom, and I was talking to him about sin. He said, stop living in a negative world focused on sin. This was his quote, quote. Partner with God to transform the world. Well, I thought, okay, that sounds fine. But the sad fact is, is the world is sinful. The sad fact is, is that we are sinful. And so this, this, but this statement by this rabbi shows a very common thinking that sin originates from a faulty society. That's where it comes from, is that the society is wrong, Officer Crumpke. Or it comes from dysfunctional families. The reason that people do sinful things is because there's not wholesome dads, there's not wholesome moms, and we don't have leave it to beaver days anymore. And, and, and you don't know leave it to beaver, is there? Okay. You probably don't know father knows best either, do you? No, okay, forget it. And, and, or the problem is the Hollywood, the problem is the media, the problem is the internet and all these things and so forth like that. And, and uh, which is what, when my father took me um, to the uh, head of the psychology department at UCLA, said, you know, what's wrong with my son? And uh, so, you know, the, the psychologist asked me a lot of questions and I was on my better behavior. And uh, he came out and says, well, Eddie, he says, um, uh, Tommy is basically good. He is a good boy, but, this, but the city of Los Angeles is bad. So you have to send him far away where he can breathe some good, clean air, like Switzerland. Send the boy to Switzerland. He won't have all these temptations that L.A. has, and the boy will be good. Well, Tommy found trouble in Switzerland. And so this pristine environment. So anyways... All of this is speaking of sin like it's some kind of an external problem, but the, and, and, and when that happens, man just acts like the Teflon man. Nothing sticks, but, 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 but the root problem is not external. The root problem is internal. As the Lord Jesus Christ spoke, and he said that a good man, out of, in Matthew 12, 15, Matthew 12, 15, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Matthew 15, 18, Matthew 15, 18, but of those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. They defile a man, for out of the abundance of the heart, Luke 6.45, Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Right out of the heart, right out of the Jeremiah 17.9 heart, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Imagine a statement like that. It's the top of the list. It's the top of the worst of the worst, the human heart. It's deceitful above all things. It's not just wicked. It's desperately wicked. Nobody can know it except the Lord. And he alone knows it. So that, so, but, but when it says that, that, that he takes away the sin of the world, that's remission. And you know what's so wonderful about that statement when it says he takes away the sin of the world? It's that, you know, uh, it, it, when I was a kid, I was a terror. And I used to remember that uh, when, it, when, it, when I'd go over to somebody's house and I'd kind of watch in the window there, I would see them quickly running and putting all the vases on top shelves and, and everything like that because I was just, well, they called me a mazik. And mazik in Yiddish means, Hebrew, means destroyer. That's what they called me. I was the destroyer. So I would go in there and say, what can I break? And, and so they put everything up on top shelves, which meant that it was out of my reach. Out of my reach. And I would just sit there and look at it and say, why would I get that vase? I could break it. But anyway, but it was out of my reach. The great thing is that when it, when, it, when, it, when it says that he takes away the sin of the world, do you know what that's saying? That's saying that God put salvation within the reach of every man. Every man now can have God's salvation. Every person can have this remission of sins. When it says in Hebrews 9.28, Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, many means all. He said, he died for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world in 1 John. So that means that it's within the reach. It's within the grasp. That's why we talk to Muslims. Why do you talk to a Muslim? Because it's within the reach of the Muslim. Why do you talk to a Jewish person? Because it's within the reach of the Jewish person. 
All you have to do is just step forward, put your hand forward. You can have this. God says that, that if you search me with all of your heart, you reach your hand forward, he says, you'll find me because I put it all within your reach. That's what he did. That was a great accomplishment. He's on the cross. He says, accomplished. I put this within the reach. I put the removal of sins within the reach of every man. Accomplished. That's an accomplishment that we proclaim. That's an accomplishment that we proclaim. When it says that, for God so loved the world, that means he put it within the reach of every person. And then it says in Romans 5, 9, Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood. Justified. He's on the cross. He says, accomplished. I have accomplished justification by my blood for all men. That's an accomplishment. That's an accomplishment. Now, all of this requires, as I was mentioning, the reaching out or what the Bible calls, what the Bible calls in Romans 3.25, Romans 3.25, it's called through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood. Now, that means that I abandon trusting in myself and my good works, which are non-existent. I abandon trusting in, 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 in any kind of uh, religion. And then only trusting in the blood, faith in his blood. That's what I trust. I'm not a good person. And, 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 and when it talks about faith, and as I mentioned, uh, with all the heart, it means a passionate grip, a passionate grip. You know, and, and the picture of that is Jacob in Genesis 32, Genesis 32, 24. Genesis 32, 24, where it says about Jacob that Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, when the man saw, who was the Lord Jesus, that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. He put Jacob's thigh out of joint and he wrestled. And then he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. And he said, what's thy name? As if God didn't know his name. And he said, Jacob. You forgot who he was wrestling with. Anyway, he said, your name no more, Jacob. Now Israel, a prince with God. And because you have with God and with men, you prevailed so there he is. He's left alone. He's wrestling with this man. He's in incredible pain because his hip has been put out of joint. And he says, I'm, I've got such a grip on you, a passionate grip. I will not let you go unless you bless, unless you bless me. And, and, and that's what he said. He said that. He, he said that. Now, when, when, I, uh, I, I, when I was taking scuba diving courses and got whatever it was, certified as a diver, okay. So we were out uh, toward Catalina and doing our dive. And they explained, you know, because we were, they explained, there's one animal that you have to be very careful of, it's not a shark. And he says, don't reach your hand into dark corners. You know why? Because of the moray eel. The moray eel stands, is there and he's always got his mouth open and he's waiting for your hand. And it was so terrifying to me because they said, you see these, the, the, this big giant, the big giant pliers here and a screwdriver? He said, you come up and the only way we will get the moray eel off of you is we will break his jaw and cut him off because he won't release. And so, you know, so I dove like this, you know, the whole time. <laughs> I was so petrified. But the picture of the moray eel with the passionate grip is what God's talking about with the passionate grip. That's the passionate grip. Faith in his blood is a passionate grip. I will not let you go. The Moriel says, I will not let you go until you kill me. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's the passionate grip. These are the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he's on the cross and he says, accomplished. It was an accomplishment of the removal of sins. Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22. It was an accomplishment of redemption through his blood, 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. It was an accomplishment of the atonement, the covering of our sins, Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. It was accomplishment of bringing near to God reconciliation, Ephesians 2, 13. Ephesians 2, 13. Accomplishment of cleansing of our souls, 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 17. 1, 17. And it was accomplishment of peace with God, Peace with God, Colossians 1.20. 
accomplishment of justification, Romans, Romans 5.9. These are the, what he meant when he said accomplished. That's what he accomplished, and that's our job, is to, is, is, is to, is to proclaim that, to declare that to a people that shall be born, to a people, hopefully, we like to think of it, to a people who shall be born again. And that's who we declare this to. Now, how do we declare it? How do we declare it? Well, you know, it's very interesting when you look at Jacob in his dying time in Genesis 48. In Genesis 48 is the chapter where Jacob is blessing Manasseh and Ephraim and Joseph. They have a private meeting with, with, their, with, with, with Jacob as he's dying. And he, he, and he starts off and, and, and Joseph walks into the room and, and, and he's got Manasseh and Ephraim. He's so blind he can't even see Manasseh and Ephraim. But he, he says, oh, Joseph. And he, and, but he doesn't say that. Oh, Joseph, I'm so glad to see you. It's nice to see you. Oh, I haven't seen you. Oh, who are they? He doesn't do that. As soon as he walks in the room, he says, God appeared to me at loose. He says, he, he starts speaking about God. He's lost in wonder, love, and praise. And then he says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. He's talking about the angel. And he says, he led me, he fed me all the days of my life. He's going through all this, and then he gets to blessing them. He, he blesses them. He blesses them by this God. Now, it's interesting that when you look at the comment on this situation there, which is in Hebrews 11.21. Hebrews 11.21 is where there is the commentary on this chapter of Genesis 48. And what it says there is that by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped. So it says there that he was blessing and worshipping at the same time. His physical condition, he was dying. And, but he blessed and he worshipped at the same time. Both of those is what he was doing there. He, as, as he talked about, as I mentioned, all the things that God to do, to, did to him, did for him. That's what we should do. Our witness should be Witness and worship at the same time. Witness and worship. You know, um, we, don't, we don't witness like the UPS driver who delivers a package. He delivers a package. We don't witness like we're delivering a package of information. The UPS driver is delivering the package. The UPS driver is not worshiping. I like UPS drivers. They bring me a lot of things. Don't do anything wrong on that. But, but there, there's no passion. When we witness, it must be with worship also. What do we mean by that? Witness and worship at the same time. Witness and worship, what does it look like when a person witnesses and worships at the same time? It looks like a hymn. It looks like a hymn that says, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Loving that, loving that story so precious, so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay. Let me weep while you tell me love paid the ransom for me. That's what it means. It's like, oh... It, I, I, I want to hear this story, but let me weep. That's worship at the same time. That's worship at the same time. And, and in other words, uh, uh, I, I'll tell you what happened to me one time. When I saw this witness in worship. I was, it was a day in Germany. Uh, it, was, um, it was a Friday. And I had just spent the whole day working at Bering Institute and going around Custon and, 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 uh, and, and I was working there at University Town in uh, Marburg, north of Frankfurt. And it was cold, and it was a winter, and it was dreary, and there is no place like coldness and winter and dreary like Germany in the winter. It's awful. And, uh, well, not in the Alps, but th th this place was, so anyway. So I got on the train, and we, we, we went into an, another city as we, before we got to Frankfurt. All I could think about is, I want the warm bed. I want to get back to the Frankfurter Hof, even if it was Hitler's headquarters. I just want to get there. And we get into that warm bed. I says, I don't want to, I was irritated. Anyway, so we came into this town of Gießen, and the students I was with, they got off the train in the cabin. And this old German man gets into the train with his wife and sits across from me. And I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted, I wanted to, I didn't, anyway. And so, so the, the old German man, he looks at me, and he says in German, he says, have you ever heard the story of Jesus? So I said, no. 
<laughs> I've never heard the story of Jesus, you know, because I was like this, you know, because I didn't want to engage. And so he says, well, let me tell you. And he goes and he, he describes how, we, how the sin of man was so horrible. And then when he got to the part of the Lord, there's an old Jewish German man, when he got to the part of the Lord on the cross, he starts to cry. And the tears are streaming down his wrinkled face as he's explaining to us, and I'm amazed. And then we came into the Frankfurt station, and I just got off and I found a corner, and I had a good cry too. That's witness with passion. That's witness with worship. He's worshiping the Lord as he's describing this whole thing. You know, the, 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 like another hymn says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above. Jesus in his glory, Jesus in his love. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Why are they hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest? Because it's such a wonderful, wonderful truth. We worship as we tell it. We worship as we tell it. You know, um, uh, 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 June is coming. That's, in case you didn't know that, you can take that down in your notes too. Anyway, <laughs> June is coming in July, and that's going to be the highlight months for me from June 4th to July 4th because I get to work at the Del San Diego County Del Mar Fair in the Child Evangelism Bible Castle. And I do this every year, and I'll go down there nine times, and I just love it, you know. And, and, and you know, I'll stand on the outside there and say, uh, you know, the kids come, little kids with their parents, and I say, uh, hey, Mom and Dad, how about a Bible story for the kids? And a lot of times the parents will say, give me your hand, just get out of here. They'll walk over the other side, you know. On the other side are some other vendors over there, and they, they go over there, and I went over to the other vendors, I said, you need to give me a commission on sales. I said, because I push customers into your booth, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, but, but not all, and they come in, and they, and they sit in these little chairs in front of me, and, and I sit in a chair, and they look at me and say, they look at me with that, I wonder if that chair's going to break that he's sitting on. But anyway, they, they, they sit there, and I go through the wordless book, you know, heaven, heaven's a wonderful place, heaven's a beautiful place, that's gold black, your, your heart is black, it's so sad, you can't go there! And, and, and it's, but there's great news. Don't get up and walk out. There's great news because the color red is Jesus shed his blood for you. And it can make your heart white. Isn't that wonderful? White is snow. And now you can be united with the Lord and you can grow by reading your Bible and praying with the green color. And so, I, and I go through this and I tell you, every time I do that, I see some new aspect of the gospel that's so wonderful. And I sit there and I think to myself, that's marvelous. That's witness and worship. That's witness at worship at the same time. Hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. When you go out to the Jewish people, well, by the way, when you, when you, if anybody asks you, you know, we don't preach the gospel, nobody, pre a good gospel preacher, never preaches the gospel as a profession. It's not our profession, it's our confession from our heart and from our soul. And so when you go out to the Jewish people, and you see them being so obstinate, well, sometimes they can be, I suppose, I don't know. No, so they'd be so obstinate and so resistant. And you sit there and you say to that person, God can forgive all your sin. But as you say that, you're worshiping inside. Imagine that. God can forgive all their sin. And as they sit there and they slam the door in your face and you say, and that's sin too, praise the Lord. <laughs> that's what it means to wish, witness and worship at the same time. And that's our calling, is to witness and worship at the same time. And so I just wanted to leave you the, to this morning with just these thoughts that when he was on the cross, he said accomplished. And what he accomplished was all the things we just went over. And that's our job is to declare his righteousness, what a wonderful person he was, and what he actually accomplished on the cross. And as we do that in our witness, it should be not like the UPS drivers. Well, I like UPS drivers. But not like the UPS driver, it should be like Jacob did when he blessed and worshipped, and we should be witness and worship at the same time.